this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. I wrestled a bit this week in thinking about what to preach this morning, whether to preach a message that was specifically devoted to Thanksgiving this week or to stay in Romans chapter 12, where we've been the last few weeks. And I decided to stay in Romans 12, one, because I I wanted to keep that flow of thought going, and this finishes out uh, chapter 12. And also, I was thinking about the fact that, that really what the Apostle Paul is urging us to do in this passage can only come from a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God and a heart that expresses a daily thankfulness, a daily gratitude for what God has done for us. Because really only with that mindset of the grace that has been lavished upon us can we give this kind of grace to other people. And so really this can only come out of a heart of thankfulness and and mindfulness of what God has blessed us with. And so Paul, in this passage, has been teaching us how to live out the gospel through a life that is totally committed to Christ, through a mind that is being constantly transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God coming coming into our lives and molding us, shaping us after the pattern of Christ and not after the, the mold or the pattern of the world. And specifically in verses 9 through 21, Paul has been giving out very clear instructions, very practical instructions on how to live out the Christian faith and how to express love for one another in reflection of the love that God has given to us. And in verses 17 through 21, Paul is specifically pointing our attention to the way that we relate to the world. Much of this chapter has been about how we relate to one another as believers in Christ, especially verses 3 through 8 that talked about living together in the body of Christ in humility and using our gifts as a part of the body, all for a common purpose in worship to the Lord and service to the Lord. In verse 14 and now in verses 17 through 21, those verses in particular, Paul is pointing us to the outside world. And a world that is very much and very often hostile toward us as believers. And when we were in verse 14 last week, we talked about the fact that persecution is a very real, um, it's a very real possibility for believers in Christ. Jesus warned us about it. He told us that the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. And so in verse 14, Paul said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's a radical thought, isn't it? It's a radical thought that can only come from a transformed mind. That that those who curse you, those who persecute you, that we are to respond in blessing and kindness. That can only come out of a transformed, by grace, heart and mind. And I think as we move now into verses 17 through 21, that Paul is expanding on and really building on verse 14 where he told us to bless those who persecute us. And he's giving us some more instructions on how to relate to a hostile world in verses 17 through 21. 
And so let's read these verses together and we'll ask the Lord to help us understand and apply them today. Paul writes in verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Father of grace, we ask for your help today as we read and meditate on your word and just to understand it, Lord, and to to see exactly what you are teaching us. But Father, we need your help in particular to apply these words. To put them into practice is difficult for us. We still have the remnants of of sin and those desires. And Lord, it's, it's easy, it's tempting for us to want to take revenge, to want to uh, return evil for evil. And yet, Lord, you've called us to not be like the world. You've called us to not fit into the mold, the pattern of this world's thinking, but to have a very transformed way of thinking and behaving. And so, Lord, help us to, to live this out. Help us to put it into practice and help us to ever be mindful of the incredible love and grace that you have shown to us as sinners who do not deserve it. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. What I'd like to do is just kind of walk through verses 17 through 21 and make sure we understand what Paul is saying here. I think it's fairly clear. And then toward the end of the message, I just want to give us some thoughts on why it is that we should live these things out. What is it that motivates us to live this way in the world? First, in verse 17, Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And here he is talking about the way that the world mistreats us. So I think in in particular, he has in mind a hostile world, uh, people who do not believe in the gospel, people who uh, are enemies of Christ, enemies of the church, enemies of Christians, and that evil that they will do to us can take many forms, can't it? Uh, it can take the form of words, of ridicule, of slander, of deceit. Uh, it can take physical form of uh, beatings, imprisonment, even death. Uh, it can take financial forms of uh, seeking to undermine somebody's business, their, their welfare, their ability to provide for themselves and their family. So anyone who does anything ill will toward you at all, and, and not just in the arena of because you're a Christian. So it, it could be this is directly against you because you're a Christian, and we could label it as Christian persecution. But there may be other times when people are just mean to you just because they're being mean. It could be that it's not necessarily because you're a Christian. It could be that they just want to take advantage of you. They, they want to get a better deal for themselves. And so they, they swindle you. They lie to you. They, they take from you. They take advantage of you. And, and Paul doesn't specify, does he? He doesn't specify if they do evil for you in these situations. 
or in these scenarios or under these conditions. He says, if anyone does evil to you at all under any circumstances, he says, do not pay them back with the same. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? Our, our natural reaction, and I think it's somewhat instinctive for us, is the sense of justice, right? The sense of fairness, that if somebody does something wrong to us, that we want to turn the tables and get back at them, or at least seek justice somehow, for them to be punished for the wrong that they've done to us. You, you've never been driving on the road, right? And nobody's ever cut you off. And, and you've never wanted to like ride their bumper for like the next couple of miles or, or like speed around them and cut them off. You've never wanted to do that, right? We've all had that temptation to, to do something back to someone who does something to us. Um, you've never had somebody cut in front of you in line at the grocery store and, and you didn't want to just like, like bump their cart or something, you know, and maybe make something fall off their cart. Uh, we, we have this tendency to want to get back at people, to want to do something back to them. And those are small things that I just mentioned. But, but what about if, if somebody uh, robs you? What about if somebody, uh, you're into a business deal with somebody and they, they take you for thousands of dollars? I mean, that's, that, that we're difficult things, right? Our natural response is to want to get back, to want to seek justice, to want to seek revenge. And Paul says, don't repay in kind. Don't repay in kind. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And, and here I think what he's saying is that, that even in front of a, an unbelieving world, that we should live in such a way such that the world can see that something is different about us. And how else are they going to see that except when we react in an incredibly unusual way when we are harmed or when we are mistreated? If we seek to get back at someone or seek justice or seek revenge on someone who does something to us, that's natural, right? That's expected. Nothing unusual about that at all. But when we do what Jesus tells us to do, and, and when our enemy slaps us on, their, on our face and we turn our other cheek to them, that's unusual, isn't it? Or when our enemy takes our, our coat from us and we say, here, you can have my shirt too, that's unusual. Or when... Uh, a soldier in the Roman army compels you to carry his burden for a mile, and you say, I'll carry it two miles. That's unusual. That's unexpected. And so when we respond in this way, and we don't repay evil for evil, but instead we repay evil with good, the world takes notice of that. The world sees that, and they see something is different. Something is transformed about this person's life. And isn't that what Romans 12, 2 is all about? Don't, don't fit into the pattern of this world. Anybody can do revenge when someone mistreats them. Anybody can do that. Everybody does that. But a transformed way of thinking, a way of thinking that is conformed to Christ instead of the world, is one that gives back good for evil, and the world doesn't know what to do with that. They're confounded by that, and it gets their attention. And they have to ask, what is it in you or about you that makes you respond that way? 
And then we can do what Peter tells us. We can give every man an answer for the hope that dwells within us. We can give them the answer. It's because Christ has redeemed me. It's because Christ has done something good for me. I gave him evil and he gave me good. And it gives us opportunities to witness and share the light with people. He says in verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this reflects the teaching of Christ, doesn't it? That, that in the, the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They're the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That is those who seek peace, those who seek to reconcile, those who seek to live at peace with others. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, pray for, pray for our leaders, pray for those. And he says, I believe it's in chapter 2, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for our leaders, pray for those in authority, that we may lead a gentle and peaceable life in all gentleness and kindness. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now that's hard, right? And, and he gives the qualification, as long as it's within your power, as long as you can influence it, live at peace with everyone. There are some people that are going to want to stir up trouble. There are some that are going to want to be hostile toward you. But as much as it is within your power, seek to reduce that hostility. And the one way you can do that is by, repeat, by repaying good for evil. Because you know what will turn the temperature, the, the, the anger down, the hostility down, is when you do nice, do something nice for someone who is mistreating you. They don't know what to do with it. Somebody's yelling at you, somebody's angry at you, and you respond to them with genuine kindness and compassion. It's hard for them to continue to be angry and hostile toward you. It at least will turn it down just a little bit. As much as it depends on you, be, be at peace with everyone. That means there's going to be a lot of times when we're going to have to defer to the desires and wants of other people. We have to defer to the desires and wants of other people. We're going to have to remember this thing that is in dispute, this thing that is in conflict, it's really not all that important. And I can let this other person have this. I can let them decide this. It's not that important. Live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, Paul says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So he quotes from Deuteronomy. And what he's saying, all of this that he's telling us to, to not seek justice, to not repay evil for evil, to not take revenge... He says all of this is set within the context of trusting in the justice of God. Trusting in the justice of God. Verse 19, he's essentially telling us to not be vigilantes. And to not go out and, and try to achieve our own justice, our own revenge. He says, patiently, faithfully, wait for the justice of God. That's hard. Because not only do we have this instinctive desire for things to be fair and just now, but we have a very impatient spirit, don't we? 
So we want things to be fair and just. And we think if somebody does wrong to us, something wrong has to happen to them. Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't respond with evil for evil. And also, you have to be patient and wait upon the justice of God. It's God's place. And that's a helpful reminder because there are a lot of injustices. There's a lot of evil that takes place in this world that will not and cannot be solved by human means, by human judges, by human justice system. There are many injustices that will have to wait for the judgment seat of God. And on that day, he will make it all right. And so we need that kind of patience to wait on that and to trust, right? There's faith in that. Not only patience, but trust, faith in God that he will be just and he will give to each what is due them. And in verse 20, he quotes from Proverbs and he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, that's completely the opposite of what we want to do. And, And notice he's not just saying here, a friend. If your friend is hungry, giving something to eat. If he's thirsty, giving something to drink. He says, your enemy, right? Your enemy, that that person that is doing harmful things to you, that person that is against you, hostile toward you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. I may have used this illustration before, but anytime I, I come across this verse, I always think of this incident. But there was a, this is in the early 90s. I don't know if all of you know the story, but in the, the, for a long time, the Southern Baptist Convention and especially its institutions were heading toward theological liberalism. And in the early 90s, I believe it was 1993, um, Al Mohler became the president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a very controversial decision because by that time, a lot of the professors, administration, they, they had become very liberal in, in theology, welcoming of alternative forms of sexuality and deviant beliefs in the word of God, denying the inerrancy of the scriptures. And yet the trustees of the school were still Bible-believing people. And the trustees installed Al Mohler, a very conservative uh, theologian, as president, and he started making changes, and he started making changes quickly, and it got a lot of people upset. There were there were walkouts, there were protests, there was picketing. There were people outside picketing at the president's house on campus and yelling and screaming in protest of him as the president of, of the seminary. And what he did is he ordered pizza for them. He called in. He ordered pizza, and pizza was delivered to all the picketers who were out around his house protesting him. I always think of that when I think of this verse. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. It says, in doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. What does that mean? There's, there's a little disagreement about what that, that means. One way of understanding it is that in doing good to those who are doing bad, you are, in essence, increasing their, their guilt on the day of judgment. That's one way of understanding it. 
Another way of understanding it is that the burning coals of fire has to do more with guilt and shame that they will feel in, in light of your response of kindness to them. And perhaps it will soften them and perhaps even turn them toward repentance. So either one of those ways is possible. I, I tend to prefer that he's talking about the, the guilt and the shame that people may experience because of the kindness that you have shown to them. And perhaps, certainly no guarantee of it, perhaps it could lead to a change of heart in them, to a turning repentance in them. But his conclusion in verse 21 is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think this specifically relates back to verse 2, where he said, do not be put into the mold or the pattern of this world. See, the world is full of evil, and the world's evil wants to overcome you. The world's evil wants to influence you. The world's evil wants to force you into its pattern. And if you respond in kind, then you have been overcome. If you respond in kind, that shows that the world has pressed you into its mold. But instead of being overwhelmed, overcome by the evil of the world, we are to have a transformed mind and a transformed way of acting so that when the world gives us evil, we give them good. And the good is stronger than the darkness. And the good overpowers the evil. The light overcomes the darkness. That's Paul's encouragement to us. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, I wanted to try to to share at the end, how is it that we can put this into practice? What is it that motivates us to live these things out? First of all, I would say treating our persecutors with kindness is consistent with Christian character. Treating our persecutors with kindness is consistent with Christian character. That is the character that Christ has showed himself and the character that Christ has taught us to live. Treating our enemies, our persecutors with kindness is consistent with Christian character. It's consistent with Christ's law of love. We read in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, you have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He says in Matthew 5, verse 44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Luke 6, 35, Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And so this is consistent with what Christ has taught us and how he has taught us to, to love even our enemies and to do good to those who mistreat us. But also, this is consistent with God's sacrificial love for sinners. Treating our persecutors with kindness, it is consistent with God's sacrificial love for sinners. In essence, what Paul is calling us to do here, what Jesus called us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, is to act like God acted toward us who were hostile toward him. Romans 8 says that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Romans 8 says that while we were still enemies, while we were still hostile in our minds toward God, God sent Christ to us and loved us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And what kind of a world was that that God loved? It was a sinful world. God loved sinners. He loved enemies. He loved people who were mocking him. He loved people who were rebelling against him. He loved people who were hostile toward him. And he sent his son. He gave the greatest gift that he could give. And so this is consistent with God's sacrificial love for sinners. Treating our persecutors with kindness is consistent with the Christian faith and what we believe. And what is it that we believe? We believe in the justice of God. We believe in the justice of God. In this passage, he says, Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, as it is written. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That takes a faith that trusts God, that trusts God to be just, that trusts God's timing, that trusts his providence, his sovereignty. It is taking our lives and even all the evils and the evil and wicked things that have been done to us and entrusting them to God. Trusting that he will do what is right and just in his time. It also means that we have a faith in the living hope of the coming kingdom of Christ. Living this way, giving back good for evil, can only happen if we believe that there's a better world to come. I don't see how else you could live this way. Because if you're living... If your viewpoint is, this world is all there is, then that means you're going to seek to make this life, this world, as good and as comfortable and as problem-free as you can possibly make it. But if there's another world to come that gives you hope to endure wrongs and to respond with kindness... It gives you endurance to take shame and persecution for the name of Christ, knowing that there is a kingdom to come. I I think only having that faith, that hope in a coming kingdom of Christ gives you the, the, the eyes and the courage and the grace to live these commands out. Paul writes in Philippians 1, He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And by the way, when he says whatever happens, he's talking about whatever happens to him. In his life, whether he dies or doesn't die for the sake of Christ. It's in that same context that he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's talking about his own imprisonment and whether or not he may die because of that imprisonment, that persecution. But he says to the Christians in Philippi, whatever happens, whether I die or whether I live, you live yourselves, you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. In other words, what he's saying is, even in the face of persecution, you live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. That becomes for them their judgment. That becomes for you your vindication and your salvation. When? On that future day. On that day of Christ. So he's saying, live according to the gospel, live worthy of the gospel in the face of persecution. Why? Because you know that that day is coming. You know that that day, that future day of of reckoning, of justice is coming, but then also the kingdom to follow is coming. So live your lives in light of that hope. So my encouragement to us is to overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good and do it in the power of the Spirit and do it with this mindset of the coming kingdom of Christ. Because that's where our hope is. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in His coming again and in the kingdom that He will bring. So let's live in this world as if we are citizens of the next because we are. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks and praise because you have adopted us into your family. You have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So now, Lord, help us to be light. Help us to shine the light in a dark place. When we are met with darkness, let us not hide our light under a bushel but may we continue to shine the light in the midst of darkness. And that, Lord, that that means that we will have to live a life that is very contrasting, very different from the world around us in order for us to be that light in darkness. That means enduring wrongs and returning good. It means being patient and trusting in you to bring justice in your time. Lord, we need grace for that. Strengthen our faith. Continue, Lord, to have your abiding Holy Spirit mold us and shape us and empower us to live in the, in the pattern of Christ. He is our perfect example in this, that when he was reviled, when he was slandered, when he was beaten, He did not respond in kind, but he was calm and he was peaceful and he even forgave his persecutors. Lord, may we follow that example of Christ and may your spirit give us the grace to do it. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.